0: Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. Good morning, everybody. Is that better? Oh, man, it's so good to be back in here. I have so many incredible memories of what God has done in this room and seeing people get in touch with the living Jesus Christ. Amen? Oh my goodness, so so good to be with you. My wife is here. Honey, can you stand up? Oh. We have been married 42 years and she's only 30. That's, that's amazing. Oh, I'm, I'm so excited to be with you. Um, but how many of you know what this is? Any of you, anybody here play the ukulele? Everybody knows that song, right? Right. But, um, you know, when I first got saved, uh, it's, on March 12th, it's going to be my spiritual birthday. I'm not going to tell you how many years it's been since I got saved. But when, when I got saved, a whole lot of hippies were getting saved. We, we refer to that now as the Jesus Movement. And I lived in Tucson, Arizona, and a whole lot of people that went to my high school were were getting saved and serving the Lord, and they're giving me tracts and praying for me, and eventually I got saved. And all all these hippies, you know, they started bringing me onto the street, telling me how to witness, how to share my faith, and how to study the Bible and stuff. But you know what? I was not a hippie. I was a nerd. Full on, straight on, you know, pedal to the metal nerd, you know? But you know how the bible says the lion shall lay down with the lamb and the nerd shall worship with the hippie it was amazing i made all these new friends it was just a girl but I, I gotta sing you this funny song we used to sing i've never heard it anywhere else but i just love it so um it goes like this five foot nine eyes that shine born and raised near palestine has anybody seen my lord he heals the sick, raises the dead, does need things with fish and bread. Has anybody seen, my Lord? So if you run into a friendly Jew wrapped up in a sheet, has long hair, wears a beard, be sure to check his hands and feet, because he is neat, he is cool, he could walk across your swimming pool, has anybody seen my Lord, he's the Messiah, has anybody seen my Lord, he'll set you free, has anybody seen my Lord, his name is Jesus, has anybody seen my lord? All right, um just want to share with you for a few minutes the the ministry the Lord led Benita and I to start. You know, when we graduated from Bible college, we did six years of ministry with Youth of the Mission all over the world, had the joy of seeing thousands come. But when I was here, the Lord started stirring me and said, Doc, there's so many people in, in cities in America right now who don't know Jesus, they don't know any Christians. And so we started a ministry called Musical mentors because you know what we found out? Almost everybody in the world wants their kids to learn to play music. Almost every kid in the world wants to learn to have a shot at it. And you know what? Even Muslims do. And even Buddhists do. And even atheists do. And it's it's such a big hole, like in speaking of football terms, you could drive a truck through it. And so we've been doing this in five different communities for the last thirteen years. Those are all Mid East refugee kids. A thousand children have been through our program now. And you know they, they come they get free lessons in either ukulele guitar or piano, and um, they earn their instruments as they go through. They have to do their homework, they turn in their points, and you know what? I mean, all these kids are stories to me. Every single one of them, like that guy. I could tell you, that guy's our first graduate. Let me tell you about Zach. He grew up. He grew up with his dad. His dad could not keep a job, so they rent, they were renting a room from somebody, living in in one bedroom. Um, Zach started coming to us when he was just like eight years old or so, and we could see that he had talent. And so I trained people to become assistant mentors and to, to teach these kids and get alongside them. We keep it small on purpose so they can find their purpose. But we could see Zach had talent, but he also had what I call the, the, the quit switch. It's hard, I quit. It's hard, I quit. It's hard, I quit. We teach the kids, you weren't born with that ability. Babies don't know how to quit. And th- through uh, our assistant mentors, he kept at it. You know what? And then his grandma started dragging him to church. And because, and they found out he could play guitar really well. And so they started asking him to play in children's church. And then he got older. And then there was somebody like Brett goes, hey, you're good, man. Come and join our youth team, you know? And, and, and then he's, now he's going on missions trips, you know, to Africa. And, and, and then he, start, he got really good. He's playing in jazz band at school. It's hard to play in jazz band, guitar. And he's serving God now. He's 22 years old now. He's one of the rangers if you go down to Doheny Beach, you know where you check in there. He's going to college. He's going to learn to be a forest ranger. He's serving the Lord. And his grandma has gotten in my face before and goes, none of this ever would have happened if it wasn't for you guys. And you better believe that, pal. (laughs) You know, when a grandma's wagging her finger at your nose, you better pay attention. So that's why we do it, folks. And so we've been doing it 13 years now where we've made the leap from a local um, recognized ministry to, to nationwide. Because it's always been our vision. We're going to show up other people how to do this in every... In, in, I want to be in every city. And it can jump boundaries faster than the coronavirus. <laughs> so, will you pray for us? If you're at all interested... We started our first program right, right next door when there was a Teen Challenge Center there. If any of you think you might even be interested, like 1%, in doing something like this, you need to talk to me. Because it might be a God thing. So, all right, you ready? Um, Did I forget anything, Benita? Oh, I've got some CDs out there. I just did, you've never heard of an album like this before. I just did a lullaby album on the ukulele and classical guitar for grownups. This is for you. Because your mom's not there to rock you to bed anymore or tell you who you are. And so, what? You need Duff to come and play the ukulele and soothe you. Mm -hmm -hmm. Oh, you're going to love this. You could hear some of what was playing there. All right. If you have a Bible, a printed Bible, or or in your phone, I'd like you to go to a a really interesting story in the book of 2 Kings 6, and this is slide number one, guys, yeah, and it's called Getting Your Edge Back. Wow, Matt Wish, you're amazing, thank you. How about this guy? Okay, and... um, this is a funny little story that just kind of—it just seems like it's dropped into the middle of the Bible. And what does that mean? And it just seems like, wow, cool trick. But there's this prophet named Elisha. So I want to read this this uh, seven verse story. Uh, he's he's teaching people, uh, discipling people to to walk as prophets, to understand their gift, and, and to know the scriptures. And it says the company of the prophets at school said to Elisha, "Hey, we've outgrown the place where we meet with you." let's go down to the jordan river because there's trees we can cut them down and, and uh, let's build a place there for us to live and he said go prophets really have quite a personality sometimes then one of them said won't you please come with your servants i will i'm thinking lurch on the adams family here you know but uh, and he went with them and they went to the jordan and they began to cut down trees and as one of them was cutting down a tree his iron axe head fell out into the water Oh, my Lord, he cried out, it was borrowed. And the man of God asked him this, where did it fall? Folks, if you wouldn't mind, would you say that little question with me? Say it. Where did it fall? That's a really, really, really important question that God asks all of us at some time in our life. Maybe several times in our life. But there's a little backstory you need to know. People in Israel at this time in history did not have iron axe heads. You know, when Saul and David went out to fight armies, they were the only two guys in Israel who had swords. And so an iron axe head is like, I don't know if he got to somebody in the mob or something, you know, hooked him up. He had it inside of his, you know, trench coat. And, but he's, he's in trouble. When he loses this thing, he's like, debtor's prison or worse, you know, this loan shark's going to come get him. I don't know what it was, but he was really upset. And he's filled with anxiety and terror. What's going to happen? Because... This servant losing the iron axe head represents losing something he could never, ever, ever get back. See, the Jordan River in parts, it's like the Kern River. My wife grew up in Bakersfield. Anybody ever been to Bakersfield? Hands down. How many of you just drove through Bakersfield? You <laughs> saw it? you kept going. Okay. Well, there's the Kern River, and in the Kern River, as you drive up the canyon, there's signs all on it says, stay out of this river and stay alive. Since 1964, it'll, it'll say something like 90 people have drowned in this river. And every year, somebody else drowns in it. Because it looks really nice and smooth, but you know what's in the bottom? Big old boulders. Like this, and there's suction going this way and that way. You can just be doing the backstroke across the river, sucks you down. They don't find you for two, two three days. That's why he can't go in the river and get this thing like that, because the Jordan River is very much like the Kern River. But this poor servant, the thing, he, slide two, the thing he needed to have in order to do what he needed to do, his chance now for usefulness uh, is gone. It's not coming back. It's never coming back. And he hadn't even done anything wrong. Isn't that a bummer? And just about everybody is going to experience something in life that will seem just like that. I had it, it was here, and now it's gone. I lost it, or I threw it away, or I just forgot about it. But we feel in times in life like we've lost something that's irreplaceable. And the loss, listen, the loss of that thing will try to follow you the rest of your life. It really will. It'll try to make you think you're a victim the rest of your life. It'll try to make us feel to some degree incapable of certain important things. And I've also come to understand one of the main ways Satan works on people Duff, are you saying there's a devil? There's a devil? Yeah, I sure am. And the person that talked about him more than anybody was Jesus. He's real. Slide number three, John 10.10. Jesus himself said this, the thief comes to only steal, kill, and destroy. Three things, right? But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Satan is the thief that Jesus mentions next slide there's a funny name for him in the bible it's called beelzebub it, it's it's actually a mocking word if you read the book of judges it used, used to be beelzebal and it, it, it meant lord of lightning or something like that but the israelites would mock him and go yeah yeah you're lord of the flies is what that means and um but you know satan is he works like flies do okay let me explain that to you he's a sick opportunist he's he's always waiting to take away your edge Um, slide five your edge you know what your edge is it's your ability to make an impact with your life and your gifts it's your ability to be fruitful and there's three primary things that make up your edge in life and i want you to remember this okay there's three things and i'm going to give you proof it's in the bible i believe the bible don't you Easy place to remember, too. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. That's the love chapter. And it says, and now there remains three things. Faith, hope, and love. Okay? And you know what you need to have more than anything as a human being to make it on this earth? You need faith, hope, and love. And if you lose any one of those three, it's really going to take the edge off of your axe head. You're going to be thumping against trees trying to cut something down, and it, it won't work. Slide seven. You were designed by God to make an impact All right. if you wouldn't mind turn to somebody next to you and say you were designed by God to make an impact tell them that <laughs> anyway Beelzebub wants to rob you of any of these and he knows you'll lose your effectiveness if he takes even one of these away from you and so slide eight here's a gross slide look at that thing big old fly you know, you know, you know how flies work on you at your picnic well on anybody they really don't create the wound do they but they know where the wound is they smell it i've been i've been told that flies can smell rotting flesh a mile away that is so dumb their noses are like as big as a pinhead you know like how can they have that good smell but they're good at recognizing wounds it's their job. That's what, that's what flies do. And Beelzebub, the, the Lord of the Flies, they want to lay their eggs in wounds. They want to affect the wounds. They make, want to make the wound worse than it ever does before, ever, ever was before. Does that make sense? And you know one thing he really hates? He hates families. You know why he hates families? He wants to destroy the environment of faith, hope and love. That's where it should be the strongest of anywhere. Faith hope, in a family Amen. and he hates it because he doesn't have it Amen. and as weird as it sounds he's jealous of you yeah. He's jealous of the relationship you have with the father and with Jesus. Amen. He can't have it Next slide Another icky fly look at that guy staring you down It's important to know Beelzebub is never ever done taking from us. How many times has the enemy tried to get you to say this? I will never love again I will never trust again. I will never get my hopes up again. Boy, have we all said that before. But you know, Beelzebub would like to shut you up in a barbed wire cocoon of self-preservation where only you give permission to what comes in and what goes out. But you know, things and stuff and even people sometimes can be replaced. But once you've lost your faith or your hope or your love, where are you going to get that back? And it's not necessarily Satan that actually hurts us. It's mostly other things, other stuff. We get hurt by all kinds of things, by people, by friends, by leaders, by employers, by relatives, by death, by loss, by catastrophes, by disease. I want to take you into a little story how Beelzebub jumped on something in in my family's life when I was a, a little boy to take away our chance for happiness and fruitfulness, for fulfillment and effectiveness. And let's go to slide 10, and there's that question we all said, where did it fall? I grew up in Tucson, Arizona. My dad was a football coach. He had been an All-American football player in college. And to a little boy like me, that was like, my dad is Captain America. (laughs) And my brothers and I had run of the University of Arizona, the stadium. We could run around there, do everything we wanted. We knew the players. When they weren't in there, we'd go put on football helmets like that big, you know. We'd run around, we'd, we'd explore the catacombs of the University of Arizona uh, Stadium. We found all kinds of stuff under there nobody had seen in 40 years. One time we even found the Ark of the Covenant in there. <laughs> That's where it is. Anyway, uh, but my mom and dad, they're like Barbie and Ken, had five kids and, you know, life was good. And and um, so in, in 64, when I was nine, my uh, we were planning on going from Arizona to Anaheim, because Disneyland was still new in those days. Woohoo. And to tell a kid you're going to Disneyland, that's like saying, We're going to heaven, kids. And you don't even have to die. <laughs> it's like, yeah, the night before we leave. I go into my dad's room. I see the alarm is set for six. I go, Dad, can I move the alarm up a little bit so we can get there sooner? Sure, son, I set it for 3:30. <laughs> he moved it. He was back, So we're so excited, so we all pile in our you know, 1963 Dodge Dart station wagon with push-button transmission, just saying. <laughs> and we head out, and the kids are laying in the back. That's before the invented of these seatbelt things, you know. Those are so inconvenient. So we're, sli- we're sleeping around the back, you know, and so we're driving a few hours, and then uh, Dad wants a break, so Mom's driving. So we get out, coming this way from Arizona. There's a little mountain range just on the east side of Yuma, got to go over and we we're following a, a a guy pulling a travel trailer really slow over that little mountain range there for a long time so mom was driving by this time in our brand new car with something called power steering and power brakes and and all this luggage up on top so we're sleeping in the back and, and she sees finally she comes out of the little mountain range a chance to pull out and go around that car so she mm, guns it in this auto, automatic transmission they called it passing gear then starts to go over like this, but she gets just a little nervous as she's pulling around, Tom, and she cuts the wheel a little too hard. She's not used to this power steering, and all this weight of the luggage on top, and the car starts to go, whoo, lunge like this, and now we're kind of going off into the sand. And then she pulls back rapidly like this, but by, by this time we're all awake because we're all going whoo, whoo, like a bathtub, you know, like that, and I, I look up, and, and now I see her hands going bang, bang, bang on the steering wheel like that, and she flips back this way and flips back this way, And and she's going back toward the the lane where there's traffic coming. It was just two lanes. And bless her heart, she's only 35 years old, and she panicked and slammed on the brakes when we're going like that. The next thing I knew, the car was going up on its front right corner like that. And windows are smashing in and exploding out, and bodies are flying and hitting each other, and dolls and baseball gloves and suitcases are all over the highway, and we land and just for a second, there's a, a hideous silence, except for the hissing of the radiator and the fluid and the glass tinkling. And then my little sister starts screaming. And then I start screaming. And I somehow get out of this smashed car that you can't even recognize anymore. I was barefoot, and the, the, the uh, pavement was just burning our feet. And we're just absolutely flipped out. I mean, I was sleeping 10 seconds ago. And, and now this is happening. And. One of my brothers got shoved out through, you know, a station wagon, they have those windows in the back that don't roll down. He got pushed through, flew through the air, landed on the pavement. had to get 88 stitches in his leg. So we got out and, you know, kind of, ah, just like little ants scurrying around when you stir an anthill with a stick. We're just freaking out. My dad's screaming as to just be quiet. And, And I went around the side of the car, the driver's side, and I saw my mom. She was laying on her back there. Her feet were still up kind of tangled in the steering wheel, and and she was unconscious. And um, it's just absolutely, you can't describe what it is for a little child to see that, to experience something like that. And um, so they, you know, finally the ambulance came, and there's cars and trucks backing up, and you hear the Jake brakes like that. Just a horrible situation. Finally, we're taken into the hospital in, in Yuma, Arizona, and for some reason, there was, no, there was no grown-up sitting with us. I was with my brother, my older brother. My little sister was sitting a few seats away. And then my brother and I got moved for some reason out into a hallway, and we were waiting out there all by ourselves. And just sitting there, and, and I didn't really know much about God, but I was going, God, help us. God, help Mom. Oh, please help Mom, Lord. God, help Mom. Then we heard a, a door open down the hallway about 50 feet. And my dad came out he was talking to the doctor he was nodding his head door shut doctor went back in my brother kelly and i ran over um dad is everything okay and we got on either side he put his hands on our shoulders and he just took a deep breath and went boys i'm sorry mom's dead and it's kind of strange the things that go through your mind right then you know as a little kid you go can we just have a do-over you think, oh, she, she turned a steering wheel that much too far. And, and she's going to pay for it with her life now? I mean, I hear people from my house going down Ortega on motorcycles and stuff, like they want to die. <laughs> she she didn't want to die. She had five kids. She wasn't doing anything wrong. And uh, that is a time where Beelzebub really began to get on my family. My dad married a couple years later to this woman who was like the opposite of my mom. Did you ever see the sound of music? Do you remember the baroness? And she's, yes, darling. (laughs) He married one of those, you know. I mean, I could have told him at age 11, like, dad. (laughs) Come on. The marriage lasted less than six months. And after that, you know, she wanted the new house and everything, lost everything. And and dad didn't even—he went bankrupt, and so we got farmed out to family and friends all over the the state, and so we're not no longer together, even as siblings. And you know, I have seen what the power of death can do to a family. I've seen it firsthand. I felt it firsthand. I've lived through it. I know what it can do. I I know the violence that can come out of it. I lived after that, after we got back together in in a pretty violent home. I know how it can fill you with pain. In misery and doubt, when you lose your accent, when you lose something there, and it can make you—can I say it like this? It can make you a slave to sorrow and loss and negativity, and you just think it's normal, and you get used to it, and you don't even notice it anymore. You look in the mirror and it's like, man, life sucks. I wonder what's going to happen today. It's awful. And it's, it's really weird that we start to believe all the lies that, that come into our mind like that. And it, it, it's, it seems normal to fear and normal to anticipate loss and all that stuff. And you, you maybe even start to live under the imagined scowl of a cruel and uncaring God that can't be troubled with your troubles. And I believed our chance was gone. I really did. And our home became very happy when Dad finally got us back together. But you know what? When I was 16, I met Jesus I didn't know anything about Jesus, hardly. I'd heard that he died on the cross and rose from the dead. I had no idea what that meant. I didn't even know what Easter was. I was as dumb as a box of barber hair when it came to spiritual things. And, but I I didn't, but you know, what? he loved me. And when he, some kids tricked me into going to a church like this one, they got me to go. You know how they got me to go, Brett? They go, hey Duff, remember I'm the nerd? They knew I had a crush on this one girl. They go, hey, you could sit next to Terry tonight. Okay, I'm going. How often does a nerd get to sit next to a cute girl? Never. But they had been praying for me. They had been giving me things called gospel tracts. And I was reading. And, and oh my goodness, those prayers were getting answered. And, um, and it was just amazing. And, and you know, from that time on, it's like there was this wall of love around me blocking me from Beelzebub. But I got to tell you this. He still wasn't done. Because he, he kind of did this end-around thing and go back in the back door of stuff that would happen in my life and torment with it, with it later as a grown man. And it, it made it very hard for me to believe that God had good plans for me to give me future hope. What's really weird is this, in the midst of all this stuff, the Lord, because of his grace and his kindness, is using me. I've seen thousands of people come to Jesus. I've led thousands of people to Jesus. I've seen God move in such powerful ways in worship, To see whole rooms just mowed down like that by the power of God. To see chairs literally getting knocked down. And and just seeing all this. And at the same time of seeing God used that way, this thing was still coming in the back door and haunting me and poking me all the time. And that's not that fun to admit, folks, you know. But back to this story now, and I'm really going somewhere with this. You remember the story about the guy that lost the axe head? So one night, we were living in Washington at the time, yeah, Washington, just got back from there, and I was sitting in the library of Northwest University. I decided to go back to school and study more music, and I was having my quiet time, and I read this little story, and it just seemed like, well, that's cool, Elisha's so spiritual, he can just pull a trick out of the hat anytime he wants. What does this have to do with anything? But the Holy Spirit, as he does, if you want to hear from him, he'll talk to you and i'm all because he's always got something hidden in there latasha you know what i'm saying and so he's got something hidden he says duff stop and look at this and it says this it says when he showed him the place the prophet went and he got a branch he cut a stick or a branch and he threw the branch on the water and it made the axe head float what how could that possibly happen? And the Holy Spirit just stopped me and he said, he said, Duff, stop. I want you, you know that word, the branch. You've seen that word, the branch, a lot in the Bible. Come on, Duff, think. Come on, Duff. It's like he's going, let's go. I, I, I got something camouflaged for you here. I want you to see it. Get closer. Get closer. And I start to get, I get up my concordance. I'm looking at branch, 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 branch. And here's some verses I find uh, out about the branch. First one is slide 13. It says this a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse now you need to know something about there's lots of prophecies about Jesus and uh, one of the prophecies about Jesus was that he's referred to in the Old Testament as the branch of Jesse and the son of David Jesse is David's dad okay so it all ties together in this incredible riddle and it says from his roots a branch capital B will bear fruit The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Oh, a branch is somebody. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding and counsel and power and knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He'll delight in the fear of the Lord. Next one, Zechariah 3.8. Listen to this. Here's more clues. What is this branch? Listen, O high priest Joshua and your associates seated before you who are men symbolic of things to come. I'm gonna bring my servant the branch. It's describing somebody. Zechariah says, tell him this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch! Isn't that awesome? And he will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. You know what the temple of the Lord is? I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it right now, you guys. And the branch, folks, if you think about it, this is practically Jesus' logo. When he comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, what are they throwing down in front of him? Branches. They don't even know what they're doing. When this prophet Elijah throws out this branch, he's just like trying to solve the problem. He has no idea that he's giving a physical prophecy of what Jesus would do. And here's where it is. He is the resurrection and the life. And the Lord showed me that. He said, Duff, this is what I want, the branch. Here's what I came to do. I am the resurrection and the life. It's what I do. If, I, if Jesus comes in contact with you, you know what he's going to do? He's going to try and resurrect everything in you that's been taken away by the enemy. Because he loves you so much, it's ridiculous. He wants to solve it all. He wants to take away all those pains, even the ones you're afraid to show him the place. And he started doing that that night. And you know what he told me to do? It was so simple, it seems nuts. This is not meant to be a ma- magic wand or a infomercial. He told me to do one simple thing. He said, I'm going to start to take you back to places where the memories are horrendous for you. It used to be when Benita and I and the kids would go back to visit Arizona, I felt such a weight on me, it would almost collapse me inside. He said, I'm going to take you back to those places, and here's what I want you to do when you get there. You go to those scary places that you want nothing to do with, and you stand there, and you worship me that I am the resurrection of the life. That's all I want you to do. That's it. Just praise me. And the Lord, in his sovereignty, I started getting all these invitations to speak all over Arizona. And everywhere I'd go, something would pop back in my mind, like drive by my old house where we lived when she was alive. Go by the Little League ball field. That summer, after we, when, when she passed away, I'd go to Little League ball games, and in between the games, I would walk around all the different diamonds looking for her. Why does that happen? Because death doesn't make sense, folks. It just doesn't. And I started going to these, these places and just, I'd stand in front of them and declare that he is risen. And one of those little baseball diamonds, I remember standing there, it's like God brought it back like I'm right, like a time machine, like I'm standing right there. And my ball, uh, ball coach comes up and he hands me a card and starts crying and walks away. It's a sympathy card from all the other little boys on the team. You think, Duff, why would God do that to you? Why would He take you back to such a painful place? Because He wanted to heal me. He was saying, Where did it fall, Duff? I just went there to have a quiet time that day. And I lifted my hands on the third baseline and I said, Lord God, I thank you that you're not the God of the dead, you are the God of the living. And His Spirit dumped on me like rain. And every time I would do this, I could feel the sorrow going out of me and life coming into me. You understand, folks, this isn't fun stuff to talk about, but it's the power of his resurrection because you see, that's what he came to do. He came for so much more than just to wipe away your sins so you could go to heaven. He wants you to be healed. He wants you and I to experience life to the fullest, to know the joy that he had of walking with the Father. God wants that same thing for you. He said, I told you these things so that in me you'd have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Here's the last story I'll I'll tell you about that that happened. I got invited to go to a town called Morenci, Arizona that probably none of you have ever heard of. It's so remote they don't even get AM radio. And that's where I was born. And I graduated from Tombstone, Arizona. Pedigree, man, just saying. So I, I was speaking at this church in, in Morenci, and where Mom's buried is, is out in between Morency and Duncan, out in the middle of nowhere. And I knew when I got this invitation, the Lord goes, I'm taking you to Ground Zero, pal. And I hadn't seen that cemetery. It's the world's ugliest cemetery. It's out in the, in the hills. It's like rocks and dirt and it's got a barbed wire fence around it. And it's got the old mounds, you know, like the old, yeah. You know. And, and while I was driving there, I was at, my heart was like beating out of my chest. It was a, it was a winter day there in, in the, uh, the Gila River Valley, and the wind blows all winter long down, down that valley, really hard, winds blowing like 25, 30 miles an hour. And it was cold, it was in January, and I, and I pulled up to this old iron gate, and I saw it said Sheldon Cemetery, and I got out and I opened the gate. It was all rusty like that. Got back in the Toyota, drove over to where I thought I remember her, her grave being. And I got out of the car, and i went over and i found it there was a headstone and when i read what it said on it it said patricia rowden beloved wife and mother and a dam burst inside of me that i didn't even know was there i started to cry from my guts like from down here i howled like an animal and I'm glad there wasn't anybody within 10 miles of me that day, because they probably would have heard me. But you know what? It, it wasn't a weeping of horror and loss, because I could feel my heavenly Father with his arms around me, going like this, and going, that's okay, buddy. That's okay. He's like squeezing me like this. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. We got this. We got this stuff. We got this. I don't know how long that went on, for maybe a half hour. See, that's the scary part when he says, where did it fall? Because you don't want to feel that. Of course you don't. But you know what you're going to feel even more than that? You're going to feel this. You're going to feel his arms around you. And then I got out my old guitar. Bam. And I started singing. Hallelujah. Jesus is alive. Death has lost this victory. And this grave has been denied. My mother knew Jesus. Everybody knew her knew, knew she knew Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus is forever. I sang like a singing in front of 10,000 people. And I could just feel the power of the resurrection coming through me. And it was like, you know when the Lord says to this guy, I lost the edge. He goes, when it floated, he says, now pick it up. So this was my picking it up. This is what God showed me to do. Go and declare that I'm the resurrection, Duff. This, this is what I do. You know when we're praying this morning, wonderful prayer meetings that go on here in the morning before most of us get here. I was standing here praying for you, and I, it, it, I, I think the Holy Spirit just showed me this picture. It was like this was a big well, this whole platform, and water was flowing out, and it was flowing down there. and It was flowing up the hill. It was flowing to the aisles, and it was flowing to you guys. Oh, folks, he loves you so much. He's, he's so in love with you. Can a branch make an iron axe head float on the water? Of course it can't, but if God talks to that axe head, It'll come back. And he wants to give you your edge back. He wants you to have your faith and your hope and your love functioning, all three. And he wants you to have what you need to have in order to do what you were created to do. And he just asks us to pick up stuff by faith. Jesus can make the bitter waters sweet, as he did for Israel. He can undo death, folks. He can undo the power of death. He can resurrect your... the Holy Spirit's telling me to sit on this one. He can resurrect your broken heart. Some, I don't know who you are, but somebody here, you got a freshly broken heart, and it is killing you right now, and you're not enjoying this message. But he wants you to come to him and show it where it is. And, just, and in faith, just speak the resurrection. Because you know what? It's almost like this. The resurrection is the miracle of all miracles. All the other miracles that we read about Jesus, they were just pieces of it, like a piece of color in a rainbow they're all centered in, in this thing and he can give you back what death has stolen from you he can give you back what you maybe threw away in a moment of foolishness Amen. oh let's praise him for his resurrection in the life so brett would you come on back up here bro and whatever you whatever you feel led to, to do but man you were singing so many resurrection songs as we we're going that so ladies and gentlemen could you just close your eyes with me right now and it could be that the, the lord is showing you some stuff and it may be that he, he'll show you some stuff later but i want you to know you guys he is not the god of the dead he's the god of the living that's the god that you serve you don't need to be afraid you don't need to be afraid of anything folks if you would mind as an act of, of faith from our hearts could you just gently lift your hands up to him And if the Father was speaking to you, you'd hear the most beautiful voice that would be like so filled with love, it would be tangible. It's, It's a love that you could taste and feel and hear and almost swim in. And He would say, Child, where did it fall? Do you not know that I am the resurrection and the life? Do you not know that I hold the keys? To everything, to death and hell and the grave, I have erased it all. I have negated it all, and I am risen. I am the resurrection of life, folks. Would you just praise it right now? Say, Lord, I believe You that You're the resurrection of life. You're the re- You know that's the most powerful. That's the thing. That's the one thing God wants you to believe to get saved. That He's risen from the dead. And I want you to express it now. I want you to say it with your mouth, and I want you to think it only. I'd like you to say it with your mouth. Whisper it if you want to. I believe you, Lord. Now, while your eyes are closed and your hands are raised, where is the Holy Spirit showing you? I lost it here. I was speaking in northern Germany this last summer, and and in this place where these people whose personalities are pretty stoic, you could just see it like dams breaking people when they were no longer afraid. But they knew the arms of the Father would be with them, and Jesus would come into that situation and resurrect. So, Lord, we bring those places to you right now in Jesus' name. You know where it fell. It may have, it, there, its something that divides our life in half, or in thirds, or in quarters. But Lord, we know you know these things, and we trust you. Lord, we confess places where we acted foolishly and selfishly, and we threw our edge away. But we know you're rich in mercy. You're rich in mercy. I can go to the ocean and take a bucket of water out and the, the ocean won't even know I took it. But Lord, your mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. Your God. Oh, we love you in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the South Coast Christian Podcast. We appreciate those who give on a regular basis to South Coast because through your giving, we are able to provide these resources.